Well, good morning. Good to uh, have you guys with us. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City Church. If you are new or visiting, just want to say a special uh, thank you for coming. Good to have you. Welcome. Um, uh, the first, uh, we're, this morning, we're continuing on in a pretty new series that we're studying, going through the book of Proverbs. And uh, the, first three wo- the first three weeks of our series in Proverbs have been kind of an introduction. That includes this week as well. It's really introducing what the book of Proverbs is really all about and, and framing it for us so that as we study it, we don't miss the big picture. It's easy to get caught in the weeds of Proverbs, easy to get caught in the details, in the little snippets. But the thing I want us to do, or the thing I've hopefully been wanting to show us over the course of these past three weeks and as we study over the course of the, the summer, is that there's really something bigger going on in the book of Proverbs. And I hope one of the themes that you've picked up on so far, if you've been here, or, or that you will if you haven't so far, is that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is always connected with God. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is always connected with God. It always hinges on him. We saw week one that while Solomon is the main author, he's the main writer of the book of Proverbs, Solomon makes really abundantly clear that he's not the true, he's not the actual author of wisdom. God is the author of wisdom. Last week what we saw too is that the way that we grow in wisdom, the path to wisdom It requires that we submit ourselves to the source of wisdom. God is the author of wisdom. He is the source of wisdom, and so the road to wisdom always goes through him. You see, wisdom always hinges on God. See, Proverbs is a book about wisdom, but really, Proverbs, like every other book in the Bible, is a book about God. We can't afford to miss that. It can be really easy for us just to read Proverbs uh, like it's a book full of good advice. And it is full of really good advice. It's the wisdom of God. It is good advice. But it is so much more than that. It can be really easy for us to read Proverbs like kind of a how-to guide to live. Best practices. And Proverbs does show us how to live in a way that really brings about lasting and life-giving joy. But it's, more, it's about more than that. It can be really easy for us to read Proverbs as just another list of rules that we're supposed to follow or just another list of character traits that we're supposed to strive to embody. And Proverbs does show us and does call us to be characterized by certain behaviors and attitudes, but that's not the end goal. You see, Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and the stated goal of Proverbs is that we would gain wisdom, but Proverbs isn't ultimately about you and me. It's not ultimately about us. You see, Proverbs, like every other book of the Bible, is actually about God. God's referred to by name over 100 times in this short book. Proverbs is a book that shows us the character of God. It shows us who he is. It shows us what he is like. It shows his, his nature. And it's only in seeing him, it's only in seeing the tr- that we see the truth about what life is really like and how it actually works best because ultimately, life is actually about him. If we read Proverbs thinking it's ultimately about us, about how we should live, about how we should be, about who we should be, about what we need to do to please God, then what happens is it becomes a list that we'll never measure up to. It just becomes a pattern that we simply cannot match. If the Bible's really all ultimately about me, if these are all just examples about who I should be and how we should live, they're just crushing examples. They just highlight all the ways that you and I fail. They just highlight all the ways that you and I don't measure up to who we're supposed to be. 
we're honest with ourselves, as we study Proverbs, what happens is we look a lot more like the fool than the wise one in the book of Proverbs. But when we read Proverbs, understanding it's really about God and not about us, when we realize that Proverbs is about understanding that God's revealing himself to us, he's showing us who he is, he's showing us what he's like, he's showing us his character, he's showing us his nature, then it can be good news for us. If it's ultimately about us, it crushes us. But if it's ultimately about God, then it calls us to a new life and a new life that can only be found in him. You see, as we study this morning, what I want us to see is that wisdom doesn't begin with what you know. Wisdom does not begin with what you know. It begins with who you know. Wisdom is about who you know, because wisdom begins with knowing God. And a call to Proverbs is not simply to become wise. It is true. Proverbs calls us to wisdom. It calls us to become wise. But more than that, Proverbs calls us to become wise by knowing and becoming like the only one who actually is wise. See, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is about becoming more and more like God. And so with that in mind, let's pray as we dive into our study this morning. Jesus, as we study this morning, we just confess we need you. We need your spirit. We need your spirit to fill me so that I might teach and preach in a way that is truthful to your word, in a way that has power, in a way that actually is effective and fruitful. God, we need you to be the one that causes us to hear and that causes us to respond and causes us to be able to like understand and internalize what is true about your word. God, so we just come dependent on you this morning. We are so grateful that you've given us your word, that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might follow you. And so, God, humbly, we just ask that this morning our study of, of your word would, would be always, uh, that it would be about you. God, and that would result in our good and would result in your great glory. And so we come just needing you this morning. In good name, amen. Amen. So just a brief side note before we uh, dive into our study this morning. Normally when we study uh, the Bible together on Sundays, what we almost always do is we, we just go through a specific passage in order, verse by verse. Because most of the Bible is written in such a way that there is a clear line of thinking, there's a clear thought, there's a clear direction, there's a clear argument. And so what we want to do is study it as it was written so that what we see is the truth of what's there. We're not trying to put something onto it, we're trying to see what's in it. But what you may have noticed as we've studied Proverbs so far is that that's not really how we've been doing it. And the reason is because Proverbs is a, is a pretty unique style of literature, and the layout of Proverbs is not such of just one coherent, complete thought. Rather, it's a collection of wise words. It's a collection of wisdom. And so the way that we approach studying Proverbs is a little bit different than the way that we approach studying most other books and the way that we've been, the way that we're going to take kind of a, take a look at the book of Proverbs, and the way I think is probably most helpful as we study it, is as we read it to pull out the themes that we see in Proverbs, to pull out the commonalities, to pull out the things that are the underlying roots of all of the wisdom that's happening, and to see how those things give us understanding about a certain area or topic or or whatever it is that the book of Proverbs is talking about. And it might feel like we're jumping around a bit. It might feel like I'm jumping around a bit in the book of Proverbs, and that's because I am. Um, but that's because that's just part of the nature of how the book of Proverbs is written. And if you have questions, I know for me growing up, when I read the book of Proverbs, I just felt like it was kind of a pinball machine. Like I was trying to read it, I was trying to understand, but I just felt like I was just bouncing back and forth from one idea to the next. 
And uh, I think most helpfully what I found just as I've been studying to prepare is that um, it's really good. It's, it's not wrong to read the book of Proverbs kind of just front to back. But I think one of the most helpful things that we can do is read it looking for the things that keep repeating, looking for the themes, looking for the ideas that keep coming up, and seeing how that paints a picture of the various things that Proverbs is trying to teach us about wisdom. If you have more questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you have questions about how to study Proverbs on your own or read the Bible on your own, man, I'd love to help you with that. Come find me after the service. I'd be more than willing to talk to you about that. This morning, though, what we're talking about is about wisdom and the character of God. Like I said in the beginning, wisdom begins with who you know, not what you know. At the heart of all wisdom in the book of Proverbs is God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 2 verse 6 tells us that the Lord gives wisdom. It's from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And Proverbs 8.22 says that the Lord brought forth wisdom, uh, brought wisdom forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. Wisdom was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Proverbs 9.10 tells us this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, wisdom is inseparable from God. And so the way to become wise is fundamentally rooted in knowing him. Wisdom is inseparable from God, and so the way to wisdom, it, it requires knowing him. It requires knowing the author and the source of wisdom. So what does Proverbs reveal to us about God and who he is and what he's like? What does Proverbs tell us about, about God? Well, the way that, the, that Proverbs, and really the Bible as a whole, describes who God is and what he's like, it kind of be uh, divided up into two main categories. One, these are kind of big, fancy theological words, but one is his incommunicable attributes, and the other is his communicable attributes. We'll shorten that. It's easier. Unshared and shared. Much better, right? You see, God's unshared attributes, his incommunicable attributes, they belong only to him, and they're what make him distinct. They're what make him altogether different and separate from us. Conversely, God's shared attributes are the things that we as his image bearers possess too. The difference is that we possess them in a limited way because we are finite, whereas God possesses them in a perfected, unlimited kind of way because he is infinite. And Proverbs highlights both of these kinds of attributes of God for us, and and Proverbs connects them with wisdom in two distinct ways that shape for us what it means to be wise. Knowing the unshared attributes of God, knowing what makes God distinct, knowing what makes him separate, knowing what makes him altogether different, as we see that in the book of Proverbs, the goal is that what that would do for us is that it would cause us to fear him. Last week we talked about that word fear in the Bible. In the English language, there's not a, there's not a really good translation for what that word really means. And when we think about fear, we always think about being afraid or scared. But that's not the connotation that the Bible has when it uses the word fear. And the Bible's talking about the word fear. It's talking about the idea of being overwhelmed by something, being controlled by something. When the Bible's talking about the word fear, what it's really talking about is is worship. You see, to fear the Lord means to have him be the overwhelming, controlling influence in our lives. That's the definition of worship. When something is the overwhelming, controlling thing in your life, that's the thing that you worship. And to fear the Lord means to worship him, to have him be the thing that is the overwhelming, controlling influence of your life. And so knowing God's unshared attributes, they lead us to fear him, they lead us to worship him, because what we, in them what we see is his majesty, and we see his glory, and we see his power, and what we see is that he is altogether unlike us. He is different. He is above. 
But that's just part of wisdom. You see, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10 says. It's got to start there, but it's not the end. That's where the second part of what Proverbs reveals to us about God comes in. You see, knowing God's shared attributes, it leads us, it calls us to imitating him. You see, Proverbs defines wisdom as skill in godly living or skill in godliness. And godliness, by definition, is the imitation of the character of God. That's why when Becca talked this morning about the women's book study, I was like, man, that's perfect for our study of Proverbs. Because the heart of what's going on in Proverbs is that God is laying out his identity, his character, and he says, this is who I am. And to be wise looks like to imitate me. To be, to be wise looks like to be characterized by the things that characterize me. You see, the more that we know the shared attributes of God, the more that we reflect those in our lives, the wiser we are. That's the definition of wisdom. See, wisdom isn't just about knowing God, that's the first part, but it's about being transformed into his image. So what I want to do is this morning is I want to just take a brief look at what Proverbs tells us about, what it shows us about who God is, what it shows us about his shared attributes and what it shows about his unshared attributes, what what makes him worthy to be feared and worshipped and what, what do we imitate about him. Again, Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does Proverbs reveal to us about God that would cause us to fear him, that would cause us to worship him? I think there's two things that Proverbs majors on when it comes to the unshared or incommunicable attributes of God. I think it's God's transcendence and it's God's imminence. Let me explain more. Proverbs reveals God to be absolutely transcendent. He is absolutely powerful. He is absolutely sovereign. He has all authority. He has all control. He is above over everything. One commentator writes it this way. He says, God's transcendence means that he is not bound in either his nature or his scope of activity by any limitations. In Proverbs, God Proverbs tells us that God is transcendent, he is sovereign over creation. Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 20 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Proverbs 8, verses 22 and 26 through 29 says, The Lord brought forth me, or the Lord brought forth wisdom as the first of his works before his deeds of old, before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust out of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens a place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above the fixed securely in the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom was there. You see, God is referred to as creator 10 times in the book of Proverbs. And every one of those times, God's referred to as the creator. None of them speaks about creation apart from him. And all of them assume that he is the sole sovereign creator. He is the one who has all authority. He is the one who has all power. Proverbs 3 tells us, as we read, that God's, it's God's wisdom that brought about creation. In Proverbs 8, the personification of wisdom is God's companion during creation, showing the absolute authority of the wisdom of Solomon because it was received from God before creation. So Proverbs tells us that God is sovereign, that he is sovereign over creation, he is transcendent over creation, but Proverbs tells us that God is transcendent, he is sovereign over humanity as well. Proverbs 16.9 says this, in the hearts of humans, uh, in the hearts of humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. 
Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose is the one that prevails. Proverbs 21, verses 30 through 31, there is no wisdom, there is no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. God is sovereign over humanity. He's sovereign over our plans and over our desires and over our will. Proverbs goes on to tell us that nothing is hidden from God's vision. Proverbs 5.21 says this, For your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Proverbs 24.12, If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Proverbs 15.11, Death and destruction, they lie open before the Lord. How much more than do human hearts? See, God is above all. He is sovereign over all. He sees all. He is all-encompassing. But God's not just above all. He's not just over all. Proverbs emphasizes God's imminent authority over all things. He's not, he doesn't just have authority. God exercises his authority. That's his imminence. While in other religions, God tends to be remote, withdrawn from active involvement world, the God of the Bible is altogether differently. It's altogether different. God's not a passive spectator. He is actively involved in his world, bringing about his will and his just judgments of sin and promoting the cause of the righteous and opposing the wicked. Proverbs 3, 33-34, it says this, The Lord curses on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Proverbs 21, 12, The righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. Proverbs 20, 22, do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, he will avenge you. Proverbs 22, 12, the eyes of the Lord, they keep watch over knowledge. He frustrates the words of the unfaithful. Proverbs 23, 10, 11, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. You see, the picture that Proverbs paints about God is not that just he has all authority, it's that he is intimately involved in exercising his authority to bring about his will, to bring about his purposes. When we see God, when we see the incommunicable, his unshared attributes, it leads us to fear him, it leads us to worship him, because the picture that Proverbs paint is one of God who is absolutely transcendent, who is absolutely sovereign, who is, and who is utterly imminent. All his, he is all-powerful, and he is actively engaged in the world that he created. There's no one, there is nothing like him, none compare. He alone should be the overwhelming, controlling influence in our lives. He alone deserves our worship. And when we really know him, that's the only response we'll have. We talked last week about Isaiah chapter 6. As Isaiah encountered the majesty and the holiness of God, the only way he could respond is to fall on his face. God, I've seen the Holy One, and I am unlike you. When we see the true nature of who God is, what makes him distinct, our only response can be a fearful worship of him. But that's not all that Proverbs tells us about God, because Proverbs also tells us about the shared attributes of God, the communicable attributes of God. Proverbs tells us not just about who God is, it tells us about what he is like, it tells us about his character. 
See, God's not just transcendent and sovereign. God is good and he is just. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. Proverbs 17.5, Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. The Lord detests both. Proverbs 21.3, To do what is right and just is more acceptable than to sacrifice. Proverbs 29.26, Many seek an audience with a ruler, But it's from the Lord that one gets justice. You see, God is not just sovereign. He is good. And he's just. More than that, Proverbs adds that God loves the truth and he opposes lies. Proverbs 12, 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs 6, 17, God hates a lying tongue. Proverbs 16, 11, Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. You see, God's character is one of honesty. It's one of truth. It's one of goodness. Proverbs says that God opposes the pride but shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 22.4, humility, however, is, is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. But more than all of these things, what Proverbs makes clear is that God loves righteousness. God loves righteousness. Proverbs 3, 32 and 33, for the Lord detests the perverse, but he takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Proverbs 15, verses 8 through 9, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. If there is one thing that you get out of this morning, if there's one thing that you see in our study this morning, it's this. And what I want you to get is this. The definition of wisdom is Proverbs is rooted in reflecting and imitating the character of God. What it means to be wise is to be like God, to reflect who he is and all that he has done to, for his character, for his likeness to be the thing that emanates from who we are. You see, the call of Proverbs and the call to wisdom in Proverbs is a call to share in God's communicable attributes. We are his image bearers, and our purpose is to reflect him to the world. And that happens as we come to know him more and more. Proverbs 9.10, again, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more that we know God, the more that we become like him, the more wise we become. Because God is not just the source and the author of wisdom. God is wisdom itself. And it's only in knowing him that we become wise. You see, that's why Jesus matters so much. That's why Jesus matters so much. Because Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. You see, Proverbs gives us glimpses of God. Jesus reveals him fully. 
Solomon's incomplete wisdom in Proverbs finds its ultimate example and its perfect completion in the person and the work of Jesus. You see, one greater than Solomon has come, and his name is Jesus. You see, Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs is just a, it's a bubbling brook, but Christ offers us streams of water that never run dry. Solomon depended in part on the wisdom and the sayings of others, but Christ spoke with absolute authority. His wisdom was his own. Solomon calls on his disciples to write the teachings, his teachings on their hearts, but Christ sends his spirit to write God's word on our hearts himself. Solomon calls for obedience, but Jesus' spirit actually empowers our obedience. Solomon failed to obey his own wisdom. Jesus perfectly lived out the character of God and what it meant to be wise. You see, one wiser than Solomon has come. You see, Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life and he personified wisdom and all his decisions were wise and it's only in knowing him that we become wise as well. You see, the end of Proverbs is not just about doing better. It's not just about trying harder. It's about realizing that you need the wisdom of God in your heart and you cannot put it there on your own. If there is one thing that that God's word teaches us, Solomon, the wisest man ever, his life was a miserable failure. His life was full of of foolishness. His life was full of not living up to the wisdom that he knew was true. Throughout God's word, there is this longing, there is this call. We are not enough of our own. We need one outside of us to come and renew and and restore. You see, the end of Proverbs is not about doing better. It's not about trying harder. It's about realizing that you need God to make you new. We need Jesus, we need his cross, which makes us right with God, so that in him we would become wise. On the cross, the wisdom of God, Jesus dies for fools like you and me, so that we could know him. As we come to know him, we're transformed by the work of his spirit in us. We share in his attributes. We are transformed into his image. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, And we all who with unveiled faces we contemplate, we see, we know the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image. What Paul is saying is the more that we know God, the more that we know who he is and what he's like, the more that we become like him, the more that we reflect his character, the more that we reflect his identity and who he has made us to be as his image bearers. It's knowing Jesus that transforms us. It's seeing him that transforms us. What the world needs is not better morals. What the world needs is Jesus. That's why our goal as we live out our faith is not just to change our friends and our neighbors and our our co-workers. That's just to change their outward behavior. But it's about showing them Jesus and letting him be the one who transforms everything about who they are. Because he is transforming everything about who we are. You see, knowing Jesus is our friend's deepest need, and it is ours as well. I think what happens is sometimes we forget that. We forget that knowing him is what we really need. We think it's knowing more about him or knowing what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to live. What we forget is that what we need most is to know to be transformed by him as we see him. And what God's word says is that God's spirit is the one who does that in him, in us. 
God's Spirit reveals to us the truth about who God is and what He is like. God's Spirit is the one that transforms who we are. God's Spirit is the one who causes us to know Him. And what we celebrate every week as we take communion is that Jesus came so that we would know God and be known by Him. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us, as in wisdom, he skillfully lived the life that we did not, so that we could be credited with his righteousness, that we would be credited with his wisdom. In the drink, it reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us as he paid the penalty that our sin deserved, our sin that separated us from God. As we take communion, what we're doing is we're not saving ourselves, what we're doing is remembering all that God has done, what we're doing is proclaiming all that he has done, what we're doing is reminding ourselves and one another about all that God has done for us. We're remembering that we, what we needed was Jesus. What we needed was the wisdom of God incarnate. And he came, he came for us. He came to make us wise for salvation. And so we sing about him, and we sing to him, and we sing for him, and we live for him, and we give ourselves endlessly for his glory, because that's what it means to be truly wise. See, to know Jesus and to see him as the only one worthy of our worship and of everything we have to give, that is the essence of wisdom. This morning as we sing, as we celebrate communion together, ask God to show himself to you more and more. Ask him, just ask him to do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about God and you're wrestling with what you believe. Ask God to show himself to you. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Maybe you have been following Jesus for a long time and your walk with him feels stale and dull. Ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to remind you about who he is and all that he's done. Ask him to show you why he's worthy to be feared and worthy to be worshiped. Ask him to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus. It requires that we confess our dependence on him to make that happen and that we reject a reliance on our own effort to do it. So what we need is to ask God to make us truly wise as he makes us more and more like himself. That's for our good, but mostly, ultimately, it's about his glory. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word and so thankful that you would reveal yourself to us in it. God, we just confess what we need most is to know you. What we need most is to know you and to be transformed by our knowledge of you. God, we ask that by your spirit you would reveal yourself to us more and more, that we would see you and enjoy you and treasure you and honor you and worship you because of who you are and all that you have done. God, we long that our lives and that our church and that everything about us would reflect your character and your image.
God, as we study Proverbs this summer, as we see what it looks like to be a good friend, as we see what it looks like to love our spouse well, as we see what it looks like to honor you as parents, as we see what it looks like to have our hearts characterized by what characterizes you, God, as we see this summer what it, what it means to honor you and to live for you, as we see what it means to be truly wise, God, would you root into us that wisdom is about you. It's about reflecting you and your character. Jesus, what we need most is you. God, we ask humbly that you would transform us by your spirit into the image of your son, Jesus. God, for our good, for your glory. Amen.